Good afternoon, this is Mr. Quick with the DMCI Personal Finance Podcast. This podcast is a companion to the Google Slides presentations and videos posted to Google Classroom. This is an audio option for students interested in hearing the lessons and can be listened to along with viewing the Google Slides. We continue our look at the bigger picture of how the economy affects your financial decisions with Lesson 10, The Economic Life Cycle, Part 2. Today's podcast continues our look at the economic life cycle through the story of the Great Depression. Part 1 explored the Roaring Twenties and the stock market crash of 1929. We introduced the first two parts of the economic life cycle, expansion and contraction. The Roaring Twenties saw the large-scale development and use of automobiles, telephones, movies, radios, and electrical appliances in the lives of millions in the Western world. It was a decade of rapid industrial growth, accelerated consumer demand, and widespread economic growth and prosperity. The United States and the world went from a wartime economy to a peacetime economy, where the economy grew by 42%. GDP went from $688 billion in 1920 to $977 billion in 1929, and unemployment hovered around 4%. As newspaper headlines trumpeted stories about teachers, chauffeurs, maids, and shoe shiners making millions of dollars in the stock market, concerns about risk evaporated. This was the first warning sign. Everyone wanted to get in on the action and credit was readily available. In particular, businesses and individuals borrowed money to buy stocks on margin. When the market started to take a nosedive, brokers began to make their margin calls and borrowers were often left unable to pay. When that happened, brokers simply sold those stocks, wiping out savings and increasing the panic. The Federal Reserve was worried that too many businesses and investors were borrowing money on margin. In a last-ditch effort to undercut the rising stock prices, the Federal Reserve decided to raise interest rates in August of 1929. Over the next few weeks, stock prices began to slide downward. By October 23, 1929, the Dow Jones was down nearly 20% from its high, and in the last hour of trading that day, stock prices took a sudden plunge. Only the Federal Reserve was big enough to prop up the United States financial system. However, the Federal Reserve failed to do so with a cash injection between 1929 and 1932. Instead, it watched the money supply collapse and let literally thousands of banks fail. The Fed's harsh reaction occurred because it feared that bailing out careless banks would only encourage fiscal irresponsibility in the future. On October 29, 1929, investors were in a full-blown panic. On October 29, 1929, 3 million shares were traded in the first 30 minutes alone. As investors tried desperately to communicate with their stockbrokers, phone lines jammed and Western Union telegrams tripled. False rumors that investors were jumping out of skyscrapers fueled the panic. Fistfights broke out on the trading floor. Stockbrokers called in margins and sold the stock of investors who couldn't immediately repay 80 to 90% they had borrowed, wiping out life savings in a matter of seconds. The market had officially crashed. Part 2. The Great Depression The Great Depression lasted roughly a decade and is widely considered the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world. It began shortly after October 24, 1929, when in the United States, the stock market crashed. This day is also known as Black Thursday. After years of reckless spending, investing, and speculation, the stock market bubble burst and a huge sell-off began, 
with a record 12.9 million shares traded. The United States was already in a recession, and the following Tuesday, October 29, 1929, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 12% in another mass sell-off, triggering the start of the Great Depression. Although the Great Depression began in the United States, the economic impact was felt worldwide for more than a decade. The Great Depression was characterized by a drop in consumer spending and investment, and by catastrophic unemployment, poverty, hunger, and political unrest. In the United States, unemployment climbed to nearly 25% in 1933, remaining in the double digits until 1941, when it finally receded to 9%. So what is an economic depression? A depression is a severe and prolonged downturn in economic activity. In economics, depression is commonly defined as an extreme recession that lasts three or more years, or which leads to a decline in real GDP of at least 10% in a given year. Depressions are relatively less frequent than milder recessions, and tend to be accompanied by high unemployment and low inflation. In times of depression, consumer confidence and investment decreases, causing the economy to shut down. Economic factors that characterize a depression include a substantial increase in unemployment, a drop in available credit, diminishing output and productivity, consistent negative GDP, and bankruptcies. You might have heard the term bull and bear markets. In times of prosperity and expansion, the stock market is considered a bull market, where it is characterized by optimism, investor confidence, and expectations that strong results should continue for an extended period of time. The opposite side of that is a bear market. A bear market occurs when prices in a market decline by more than 20%, often accompanied by negative investor sentiment and declining economic prospects. Bear markets often accompany a recession or a depression. As I mentioned earlier, the United States and much of the global economy was in a recession before the stock market crash of 1929. So what's the difference between a recession and a depression? A recession is normal part of the business cycle that generally occurs when GDP contracts for at least two quarters, about six months. A depression, on the other hand, is an extreme fall in economic activity that lasts for years rather than just several quarters. This makes recessions much more common since 1854, there have been 33 recessions and just one depression. After the stock market crash in 1929, there were more than 650 banks that failed. And as banks failed, it reduced the money supply because there was less credit available. That meant that each dollar was worth more. As the value of the dollar rose, prices fell. That reduced revenue for businesses. It also meant that debt cost more for lenders to pay back. That created a ripple effect of personal and business bankruptcies. As bank failures grew, people rushed to their banks to pull out their life savings. Banks hold only 10% of all deposits so they can lend out the rest. A bank run will quickly put a bank out of business. In the fall of 1930, Bank runs spread throughout the southeastern United States. By the end of 1930, more than 1,300 banks had failed. The Bank of the United States failed. 
it was the fourth largest bank in the United States and the largest bank failure at the time in history. To address the growing depression, in 1930, President Herbert Hoover signed the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, which raised taxes on imports. It was originally supposed to help farmers, but ended up imposing tariffs on hundreds of other products. It was supposed to signal a buy American mentality and create American jobs and increase production. However, other countries retaliated, setting off a trade war. As a result, international trade began to collapse. The Great Depression of the 1930s was a worldwide social and economic shock. Few countries were affected as severely as Canada. Millions of Canadians were left unemployed, hungry, and often homeless. The decade became known as the Dirty Thirties due to crippling drought in the prairies, as well as Canada's dependence on raw materials and farm exports. Widespread losses of jobs and savings transformed the country. The depression triggered the birth of social welfare and the rise of populist movements. It also led the government to take a more active role in the economy. Several key factors aggravated the depression effects in Canada. Different regions of the country were impacted to different degrees. The country's social welfare structure proved woefully inadequate, and the government's attempts to address problems through social policy proved mis misguided. At the same time in 1930, a drought hit 23 states from the Mississippi River to the Mid-Atlantic region. It was the first of what later became known as the Dust Bowl Drought, the worst drought in 300 years. As crops failed, farmers could not produce enough food to eat. As the crisis worsened, Congress appropriated $65 million for seed, feed, and food boxes. In 1931, food riots broke out in Minneapolis as access to food and grocery was scarce. The economy shrank 6.4% and the unemployment rate rose to 15.9%. Prices fell another 9.3%. People began to suffer the worst of the Great Depression. A third of Canada's GDP came from exports. Therefore, the country was hit hardest by the collapse in international trade. The four western provinces were the most seriously affected as they depended almost exclusively on primary product exports. The economic problems were made worse on the prairies by years of drought. Plagues of grasshoppers and hailstorms also caused huge crop failures. Saskatchewan experienced the lowest price for wheat in recorded history, and the province's income plummeted by 90% within two years. 66% of the rural population was forced onto relief. The other western provinces were technically bankrupt in 1932 and throughout the Great Depression. Demographic changes were a revealing index of hardship in Canada. Immigration and birth rates plummeted as population growth throughout the 1930s reached the lowest point since the 1880s. The number of immigrants accepted into Canada dropped 169,000 in 1929 to fewer than 12,000 by 1935. It never rose above 17,000 for the remainder of the decade. 
Local governments refused to aid single homeless men. Between 1932 and 1936, the federal government established unemployment relief camps. Run by the Department of Defense, the camps paid the men a meager 20 cents a day for construction work. In 1935, a protest against conditions in the camp resulted in the Regina Riots. This was Canada's most violent episode of the Depression. The Depression changed the way Canadians thought about the economy and the role of government. The prevailing opinion was that a balanced budget and a sound dollar and changes in trade tariffs would allow the private market to recover. The effects continued into 1932 when unemployment rose to 23% and the inflation rate decreased 11%, with 13 million Americans unemployed. Congress rushed to pass regulation to help the economy by lending $2 billion to financial institutions to prevent further failure, and the Federal Reserve purchased $1 billion in securities from banks off its open market operations. This added liquidity to cash-strapped banks. In 1933, the Americans went to the polls to vote in the presidential election. Democrat Franklin Delano Roosevelt challenged Republican President Herbert Hoover, two men with vastly different approaches to getting out of the Great Depression. The people elected Franklin Delano Roosevelt, whose New Deal was launched with the Emergency Banking Act, closing all United States banks to stop the devastating failures. During his fireside chat where Roosevelt would address the American people over the radio, he announced that major banks, including the Federal Reserve, would be closed starting March 10th to March 15th. On March 15th, only the banks that the government examiners ensured were sound would reopen and resume business. The hope was to instill confidence in the financial system. Roosevelt added one more boost of confidence, saying, Remember that no sound bank is a dollar worse off than when it was when it closed its doors last week. Neither is any bank which may turn out not to be in a position for immediate reopening. In the midst of the Great Depression in Canada, the Crown and Council attempted to uplift people and created the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission. We know it today as the CBC. Established in 1932, the CBC was seen as a means to keep the country unified and uplifted in these harsh economic times. Many poor citizens found radio as an escape and used it to restore their own faiths in a brighter future. FDR ended prohibition and abandoned the gold standard, ordering everyone to exchange gold bars for cash and then launching the Federal Emergency Relief Act. To address the problems of banks borrowing customer money to invest without their knowledge, Congress passed the Glass-Steagall Act. This act separated investment and commercial banking activities in response to the commercial bank involvement in stock market investments. Banks were given the mandate to choose either commercial banking or investment banking. The economy grew 10.8% in response to the New Deal programs and unemployment fell to 21%. The New Deal also caused the government debt to grow to $27 billion. The Emergency Relief Appropriation Act created the Works Progress Administration and hired 8.5 million people. Social Security was created to provide income to the elderly, visually impaired, the disabled, and children in low-income families. In 1936, the president raised the top tax rate to 79% and the economy grew 13% while unemployment shrank to 17%. 
the Fair Labor Standards Act established the United States minimum wage, overtime pay, and youth employment standards. In 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Poland, starting World War II. Global economies moved forward towards wartime economies, ending peacetime economies. President Roosevelt is elected to an unprecedented third term as the United States enters World War II in 1941. The economy grew 17% as unemployment plummeted to 9.9% and prices finally rose. The Great Depression had ended. The Depression legitimized the economic theories of British economist John Menard Keynes. He argued that if private investment failed to produce full employment, the state must initiate public investment through deficit spending to create jobs. Keynes' ideas influenced the National Employment Commission Report of 1938 and was important in generating the idea of equalization payments from Ottawa to the provinces. While the contraction and recession stages may seem scary, they are a normal part of the economic system cycle. Canada's last recession was in 2008, and the government and Bank of Canada stepped in with fiscal and monetary policies to help correct the situation. The Bank of Canada continued to warn individuals about what might happen if another severe recession were to hit the Canadian economy. The coronavirus pandemic has caused a lot of uncertainty right now and has left many wondering, is Canada in a recession? Canada has experienced two quarters of negative GDP growth since the pandemic began, so many economists agree that yes, we are in a recession. However, much like how the pandemic has redefined everything, this isn't a typical recession. Statistics Canada has said Canada's GDP contracted at an annualized rate of 38% for the three-month period, the worst showing since the start of 2009 at the height of the global financial crisis. That follows a first quarter drop of 8%, marking two quarters of GDP declines. The contraction bolsters opinion that Canada has been in a recession throughout the pandemic. The pandemic has presented a number of challenges and has shown that this isn't a typical recession. The good news is that you are already taking steps to learn more about the economy and how it affects you. The knowledge and skills you learn in this course will help to provide you with introductory financial knowledge and skills to help you deal with all stages of the economic life cycle that you may experience throughout your lifetime. That concludes our two-part lesson about the Great Depression and the economic life cycle. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast and have a good afternoon.